So this morning we're going to continue and actually finish up our series, The Road to Easter. And I just want to real quick. So now there's people who are in this room who were there this morning. But just so you guys are aware, we had 179 people at our sunrise service this morning. Absolutely, all glory goes to him. Absolutely amazing. Even John from Dune Deck Cafe said he has never, in all the time he's been there as the owner of that business, ever seen that many people there at one time. And then everyone sat down to eat food, so he crashed his kitchen. So, but uh, just it, it was an amazing morning. Um, hallelujah, exactly. But you know what? This is going to continue that amazement this morning. So like I said, we're, we're finishing our series, The Road to Easter. And, and on this uh, whole series, we've been taking these roads or these paths that Jesus has taken uh, during Holy Week or during Passion Week. We, we started out we, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and we kind of looked at the prayer of Jesus. And, and as we looked at that prayer, we, we really had to understand what it was like to say, May your will be done. And because in this life we always want to do what we want, we want our will to be done instead of accepting what God's will is. And then in week two, we took a walk down the Via Dolorosa, um, which is the, the path that most Christians say is the path that Jesus took from the time that Pilate told him, you know, pronounced him as guilty until he arrived into the tomb. And along that way, we stopped and we met Simon and his two sons. And Simon ultimately carried the cross for Jesus. So we spent some time there. Then last week, of course, we looked at the triumphant entry on Palm Sunday, looking how Jesus came into Jerusalem. And instead of riding that horse of pride in, that many of us may think that, you know, we think of Jesus coming... And conquering, we think of him on that white horse wearing all white. Well, when he came into Jerusalem, he came in riding the colt of a donkey. He came in in humility instead of coming in in all that glory. And now this week, we're going to take a walk on the road to Emmaus. Now, of course, the road to Emmaus is would have happened on Resurrection Day. It happened on Easter Sunday. And what I really find amazing is that these two people walking down the road are a lot like me. And the reason I say that is because have you ever had so much stuff going on in your life that you can't feel or you don't realize Jesus is next to you? You know, you get so much stuff going on, and maybe it's just me that as I'm doing this and I'm going through this life, I just get my mind starts wandering. I want to say, hey, Lord, I want to hear your voice. And then it's like squirrel. I'm thinking of something else. And, and my mind goes away, and then it's like, well, I can't hear his voice. And mainly the reason I can't hear his voice is because of me. Because I'm blocking it out, or I'm allowing my situation or things in the world to block out what Jesus may be saying to me at the time. And, and that's exactly what we see here today. We, we're going to see two people who are walking and there's so much stuff going on in their life. they got all this junk going on, all of this gloom and despair that Jesus is walking with them, and they don't realize it. 
And like I said, how many times in our own lives do we do the same thing? As we walk through this life and we walk through, maybe it's tragedies or hurts, hang-ups, habits, whatever it is, and we don't recognize that Jesus is right there with us, that Jesus is walking the path with us. So another thing I think, you know, as we look at this today is, you know, sometimes we just got all this stuff going on that we don't hear his voice. But on the other hand, I think sometimes we're doing stuff that we shouldn't be doing. So the last thing we want to do is hear his voice. You know, we, we don't want to hear him saying, uh, excuse me, what are you doing? You know, because ultimately as we take this walk, whether you got so much going on you don't hear him or you hear him and you ignore him, we got to remember that Jesus is always going to state the truth. Jesus is always going to state the truth to us and, and understand he's also going to get us back on the right path. He's going to get us back on the right path that we should be walking um, instead of just getting caught up in everything that's going on around us. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is one in the back of the pew uh, in front of you, or as always, it will be up here on the screen. And so let's dig in because it's a lot of scripture to read this morning. So Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. It says, now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you are having with each other? As you are walking, and they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? he asked them. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they, and when they didn't find his body... They came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman said, but they did not see him. He said to them, how foolish and slow you are to believe all the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going further, but they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. 
Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. So what we see here, it starts out, it says that same day. It starts out that same day. So we know this is Resurrection Sunday. It's the first Easter. And they're walking and they're, they hear this news and you kind of wonder, did they, they heard about the resurrection, but did they really believe it? Remember, in, in the other Gospels, um, they kind of thought it was a wise tale that the ladies came to tell them. Because when they ran to the tomb, they didn't see the angels. They didn't see Jesus. So were they kind of in the same boat? Was it, well, they told us, but we really don't believe it? You know, in, in some cases, they may have believed that maybe the body was stolen, that maybe someone took the body so that if the... Christians tried to claim, oh, Jesus resurrected from the dead. They could produce the body. But come to find out, it wasn't that Jesus actually was risen from the dead. And here they are, they're with very heavy hearts, and they're on their way to Emmaus. And verse 14 says, together they were discussing everything that had taken place. So when I think of their discussing everything that had taken place, They've got to be talking the whole gamut of that time they've spent with Jesus. And, and especially what happened during Holy Week. I'm sure that conversation started with how he came into Jerusalem. How during that week he turned over the money changers' tables. How he was then going into the garden. How Judas betrayed him. How he was beaten. How he was scorned. How he was nailed to a cross. Everything that happened would have been what they were talking about. So you think as they're going through all of this, that gamut of emotion for them had to be just overwhelming to them. As they're talking about all the events that took place, and they were probably confused, they were probably a little bit dazed in what they were doing, and their lives were probably in a tailspin. You think about here, they left all these things behind to follow Jesus. And now he was gone. Imagine what your life would be if, if you put everything you owned into making something happen and it failed. Imagine the tailspin. Imagine the hurt or the dazed and confused that you'd be going through. And that's what these disciples on the road to Emmaus were going through. They're, they've got all this going on and they're consumed by everything that's happened. In verse 15 and 16 it says, And while they were discussing arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them, but they were prevented from recognizing him. So here's two men walking, talking, discussing everything that's going on. Their hearts are hurting, the loss of their teacher, the loss of their Messiah, the, the one who, who they're assuming would take over as the Messiah and, and take them out of Roman rule. And here... I just imagine there's a whole lot of question. What are we going to do now? 
Think about it. They're following Jesus. Jesus has died. They go to the tomb. He's not there. Many people, what are we going to do now? Well, I'm going home. I'm going back to Emmaus. Oh, I'm going to go back and become a fisherman. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And, and all these questions of what do we do now. And uh, I think to myself, how many times have I asked myself that, own que- that same question? Well, what do I do now? That didn't work out the way I thought it was going to work out. Man, I had these big dreams. Oh, that ain't what I expected. And, and through all of this dazed and confusion, we see that Jesus takes the initiative. It says, Jesus himself came near. Jesus took the initiative to come close to them, to come into these men's lives and begins to walk with them and begins to talk with them as they're taking this walk to Emmaus. I think it's interesting that as disciples of Jesus, they they would have known him, they would have spent time with him, but but here it tells us that they didn't recognize him. They they didn't recognize him and, you know, Somewhat hard to believe because if they spent all that time, they'd know what Jesus looked like. They would know who he was. They'd probably hear his voice and know his voice, but they were unable to recognize who he was. And verse 16, 17 says, they were prevented from recognizing him. And then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? So somehow they couldn't, supernaturally, they couldn't tell it was Jesus. Maybe he was incognito. Maybe he had his face covered, his arms covered. You know, I don't know what it was, but they couldn't recognize him. And either way, these men simply didn't know what to do. And Jesus asked the question, what is this dispute that you're having? Basically, yo, what's going on? What are y'all arguing about? What is going on in your life? And I kind of think back that, you know, how them verses can apply to our own lives. How many times are we in that tailspin? How many times do we have all that going on? And we take that time in prayer. And and while we're praying, Jesus comes up and and kind of says, hey, what's going on? And you kind of think, really? You're going to ask me what's going on? You know everything. But he wants to hear it from you. He wants you to pour out your heart to him, even though he knows what you're going through. But how many times do we sit there and we, we don't even listen to when he says, you know, oh, what's going on? Because we're just trying to do it ourselves. But here we see Jesus exactly coming by their side, coming to them and asking them, what's going on? What's going on with you today that you're so distraught that everything's, what's going on? And so he reveals how much he cares for us through how much he cares for these disciples. And I think what's interesting is their response. And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. Jesus asked them this question, and basically they're walking down the road, and they just stop and go, what? Really? You don't know what's going on here? Even to the point that they even go on to when they say about these things, Jesus says, what things? Like, what things? Tell me. Tell me what's going on. And and they turn around, 
And they say the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech, and before God and all the people. And Jesus, what things? What things are you talking about? So he gets right to that point, and I think he does the same thing with us. When we've got so much going on, and we're stressing everything else, he just comes up and goes, what things are you stressing about? I didn't come here. I didn't give up my life for you to stress over things. So what things are bothering you that much? What things is it in your life that is bothering you that I've already taken care of? But we hold on to those things and whatever it is that keeps our life spinning and just keeps us in this turmoil and not realizing that Jesus has come next to us. And basically asking this child, what is wrong? What is wrong? How can I be there for you? And, and we see that as their answer was kind of like that whole gloom and, you know, going into everything that happened, talking about uh, actually verses 20 and 21, talk about how the chief priests and the leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, how they crucified him, um, but they were hoping that he was the one that would redeem Israel. You see, they had the wrong thought of the Messiah and the wrong thought of the kingdom. In their mind, they thought that the Messiah was going to come and take them out of this Roman oppression. That they would come in and they would no longer be slaves of the Roman Empire. See, they were looking for this earthly kingdom. This, this earthly kingdom that even the disciples would argue about who was going to be the greatest in. They're worried about what was going to happen here on earth. And so many times in our own life we do the same thing. We worry about this earthly kingdom. We worry about what we're going to do, what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, how we're going to keep up with the Joneses next door. We worry about all these things that make no sense. And Jesus comes alongside and says, what things? What things are you holding on to too tightly? What things is it that you have in your life that are affecting you from recognizing who I am? And they go on and they're on their way. You see these two guys, they basically, because of everything that's happened, they've given up and they're on their way home. Either on their way home or just say, I got to get out of here. I can't stay in Jerusalem. I need to go. I'm going to go this seven mile road and I'm going to go to Emmaus. We see them leaving, they're on their way, and verses 22 through 24 say this. It goes on and explains, Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. So here they start to talk about them idle tales. Was, well, do we really believe what these women said? Now, remember, this is back in biblical times. What a woman said would not even hold up in court. So Jesus, and I think it's, I just love the fact that the first person that Jesus spoke to after his resurrection was a woman. The first person to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ that he was risen was a woman. And I love that. 
especially back in those times when a woman's testimony wouldn't even stand up in court. And it's probably why these two disciples said, well, these women said this. Because they didn't believe. They thought it was this idle talk. They, they just thought it was something different. And I don't know if I believe it. It was these women saying this, but, you know, I, I just don't understand it. And I think what's funny is about this point in time, Jesus has had enough. Jesus had enough of their idle talk, what they're doing, everything they're going through. And Jesus actually calls them out and he says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? I'm sure Jesus knew these two men. I'm sure he knew their name. I'm sure he knew what was going on in their life, and he finally had enough of their pity party. He finally had enough, and he spoke up, oh, time out. And I think sometimes he does the same thing with us. We, we live in this pity party of, of life, woes me, I can't believe this, oh, poor me, sad me. Hold up. I'm waiting on Jesus, I'm sitting on my couch, okay. You've got to get up and move. Faith is an action. It's not sitting, I'm waiting on the Lord. If you're waiting on the Lord, you're doing something. You're not sitting back and waiting. And you don't think, as we look at this, that Jesus finally got to the point of, look, y'all just need to stop. Y'all need to stop with your pity party, and we need to move forward and understand that Jesus told them, he met with the disciples, he taught the disciples that as the Messiah that he would have to be turned over to the authorities, that he would have to be crucified, that he would die, that he would rise again. And basically he's telling them, y'all didn't get it. Y'all heard me, but you didn't hear me. And I think a lot of times that's what we do in this life is, is we hear it, but we don't hear it. Because there's a difference between hearing it in our ears and hear it in our heart. And we totally miss that transition. We get all this head knowledge, but not this heart knowledge. And we hear it, but then we kind of go past it. We kind of still continue to do our own thing. Well, I know it says this, but I'm going to do this because this is what I want to do. They heard Jesus speak about exactly what was going to happen, but they never actually heard it inside their hearts, and they never applied it into their life. I think it's funny. Jesus calls them, you're foolish ones. You're slow of heart to believe. And then Jesus goes on and he recounts from the prophets everything they said about the Messiah. He starts going from Moses, and he starts repeating over and over again everything that's going through. And verse 27 says, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So not only had he had to go back and say, hey, I told you this when I was here, but let me take you back to the beginning. And I'm going to take you all the way through where we're at, and guess what? I'm going to take you further because this hasn't been written yet. Let me talk to you about the New Testament. Let me tell you what I'm going to do in the future. Let me tell you who I am and what I'm going to do. And he goes through the entire part, 
just to open up their eyes so that they could see who, who he is in the word. He breaks down and in detail gives them history of Christianity when Christianity first started. Because it says all the scriptures, not only the Old Testament, but even the New. And you see now they're getting close to seven-mile walk to Emmaus. And in verse 28 through 31 says they came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going further, but they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening. And now the day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. He was reclined at the table, and when he took the bread, he blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. Jesus went into their house. He went into the house to stay with them. But that night at supper, over the meal, they recognized who he was. Think maybe they had a flashback to the Lord's Supper when Jesus took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And that reminder of this is my body which we've broken for you. And then again taking the cup and blessing it and giving it to them and reminding them that his blood was going to be shed and poured out for them. And at that moment, they recognized him. They recognized who he was, and guarantee in their mind, they were just starting to go through everything he had ever taught them. And at that point, probably understood exactly who he was and why he could take them from Genesis through Malachi and point out who he was. Take him into what he was doing then in the writing of the New Testament. And they finally opened their eyes. See, and I think so many times in our own life that as we're traveling this road, Jesus is going to meet us also. And Jesus is generally going to meet us where we don't expect to meet him. You know, we expect, oh, as soon as we stub our toe that Jesus is going to be there. Well, he is there, but generally when we just stub our toe, we're not really awakened to what he's doing. Generally, it's after we fall a couple times and we really start realizing how much of a tailspin we're in or how much junk we have going on in our life that then we start to seek him and, and then we actually are able to find who, him. But come to find out he's been walking with us the whole time. Imagine the joy in those disciples at that moment when they realize this is him. He is risen. He did do what he told us to do. That promise has been fulfilled. Jesus is risen. He is here with us. And they were just crazy. And then I think what's interesting is what Jesus do? Disappeared. He walked with them for seven miles, breaks bread, opens up their eyes, and boom, he disappears. And as much as they were talking about, oh, it's getting nighttime, Jesus, it's getting dark, you need to stay here with us, stay here with us. What did they do? They ran back to Jerusalem. So they took a seven-mile run. After walking seven miles, they took a seven-mile run in the dark back to Jerusalem 
to go and tell everyone what they'd seen. To go and tell everyone that, hey, we have seen the Messiah. He has risen from the dead. And, and just understand that their minds now being illuminated by the Holy Spirit on what actually happened and being able to go back and get, hey, you know that woman's testimony was correct? You know that woman that, you know, we're, we're not supposed to listen to what they say. Man, she was right. We saw him. He walked with us on our way to Emmaus. He explained to us all the things we never understood and even pointed us to who he was and we know he is the Messiah. The joy that must have overcome them is a joy I don't think I've ever felt in my life. To know that he is risen to see him face to face. Yes, we will see him face to face when he comes in his glory. But can you imagine where their faith was? Because on the walk, their faith didn't seem like it was much of a faith at all. But then they met Jesus. They realized who he was. Their eyes were open. And their faith had to just be amazing. It had to just be flowing out of them, the fact that they would even run seven miles. And, you know, sometimes I think we're the same way. I think sometimes our faith is in idle. It's in this idle position. We kind of go through the motions. We kind of just do a checklist. Well, I read my Bible today. Well, I went to church on Sunday. Of course, I do like Easter Sunday because, you know, you get the CEOs that come to church. And sorry if you're a CEO, but, you know, you get the Christmas and Easter only people. <laughs> but ultimately, I'm glad people still come to church to be awakened. Just like these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were awakened by who was walking with them. And I think we, we usually, you know, been in this poor and pouting situation, feeling the same way they felt. But knowing that Jesus comes near, knowing he will be near to the brokenhearted, knowing that he's going to come by our side. And even if we don't recognize who he is beside us, maybe even if we don't hear his voice, he's still going to be there. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is going to be there with us for all time. You see, there's no time when God has ever turned his back upon us. We've turned our back upon him but he's never turned his back upon us. These men were so excited, like I said, they ran all the way back to tell the good news. When's the last time you ran any place to tell someone the good news? I'm an old, out-of-shape guy. I don't run. But man, I'll, I'll take a walk. I'll, I'll walk and talk to somebody. The song, Let Me Tell You About My Jesus. 
When's the last time you told someone about your Jesus? When's the last time you took a walk with Jesus by your side? That you actually had that conversation with him. You actually heard his voice. You actually spoke with him. And you were excited. Your heart burned the same way the heart of these two disciples burned as Jesus broke open the scriptures to them. For many of us, the last time we burned that way is the day we accepted Jesus. And then we've kind of let life get in our way. And then we may think about it on, you know, the high holy holidays on Easter. I can't believe Jesus. I watched the Passion. I I can't watch it. Jesus did that for me. Guess what? He does that for you every day. Every day. Not just Easter. We think about his birth on Christmas. and, And without Easter, his birth wouldn't matter. But we go all out for Christmas and, and the, the, you know, the Messiah has been born, the son of David, the, he's here, he's here. And we get all excited two days out of the year. Shouldn't we be excited every day? Shouldn't we be so excited that we're willing to run seven miles like these disciples on the road to Emmaus at night run seven miles to go back and tell people, hey, you know what? What they said is true. What they said is true. He is risen. He is not in the grave. An angel came, and guess what? We saw him. He walked with us. He broke bread with us. He ate with us. Jesus is looking to break bread and eat with you each and every day. Are you willing to break bread with him each and every day? Are you willing to do what he calls you to do each and every day instead of letting life dictate to you how you should react? Why not let Jesus dictate to you how you should walk your life, how you should act, how you should talk, what you should do? Because remember, whatever we're doing in our life, Jesus is always going to state the truth. If you're doing something wrong, the Holy Spirit is going to convict you of what you're doing wrong. Jesus is going to always state the truth and he's going to always work to get you back on the right path. Because so many times in our life, you know, we we go left when we should have went right. We bob and we should have weaved. We weave and we should have bobbed. We, We go through this life and we try and do life on our own instead of allowing Jesus to rule over our lives. Every single part of our lives. Not just what we want to give Him. Everything in our life should be submitted to Him. We should allow Him to do it. And understand that that through this time that we should rejoice in His presence just like these disciples did. And as much as we rejoice in, in Him, I think sometimes in our life we need to feel that shame. Because we know when we're doing things we shouldn't be doing. We, we know when we're walking that line and we kind of hear the Holy Spirit saying, don't do it, don't do it. It's kind of like a do not touch sign. If it says do not touch, what are you going to do? You're going to touch it. Don't push the red button. Sorry, I was at Harley this weekend, had a big sign, do not touch. You know what I did? I walked over and I touched the motorcycle. Why? Because it said do not touch. 
But then in our own life, Jesus will tell us, do not touch something, trying to warn us that, hey, don't go there. And what do we do? We go there. Even if we try and put these barriers up in our life and say, hey, I know what my sinful nature is, and I'm going to put these barriers up so that I don't get there. And then all of a sudden, it's that bright light. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, here's my sin. No, I'm not going to fall for it this time. And you're like a gnat flying. Don't go to the light. And you end up going to, to where your sin wants you to be. And you end up doing what you shouldn't be doing. But way back over there, Jesus told you don't do it. But we don't listen. We need to start listening to his voice. Instead, listen to the voice of our own. Instead, listen to the voice of Satan. We need to listen to God's voice and understand that we always need to know that Jesus is there no matter how dark the day, no matter how terrible the situation, Jesus is always going to be there for you. Jesus will still be there. In their darkest times, for these disciples, Jesus drew near to them. Jesus in his word tells us he will draw near to us. He will be there with us. He will walk through this life with us. We just have to choose to open our eyes and open our heart and see him by our side. That's what we're called to do. That's how we're called to live this life. To be obedient to what he calls us to be. Be obedient to what he calls us to do. And, and it all starts, that obedience starts by simply starting that relationship with Jesus. Because ultimately you're not going to have a relationship or you're not going to hear his voice or realize he's walking next to you unless you know who he is. And all that starts with that relationship. It starts with making Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. And I know for some of you, you may be saying, Pastor, well, you don't know about my life. I'm still a little hungover from last night. Pastor, you don't know. I, I, I'm just waiting to get out of here to go get my next fix. Pastor, there's no way that Jesus would accept me because I'm living in sin and he's not going to accept me. Well, here's the good news for you. We're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. So look to the person to your left or right, unless it happens, husbands, unless it's your wife. Look the other way because whoever's sitting next to you is a sinner also. Now, husbands, I'm just trying to save you from a fight later. Don't look over at your wife and say, you're a sinner, because that's when the fight will start. And then I'm going to have to do marriage counseling. I'm not, I don't, okay, it's Easter, I've been up early, I don't want to do no counseling today. But we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. So if you say, hey, I got all this going on, and my life is messed up, and my life is all jacked up, guess what? You're also loved. You have a loving God who it even says he loved you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for you. That's how much he loves you. He loves you that much that Jesus died for every sin you've ever done, every sin you're still going to do. 
He already knows it. He knows we're messed up. We're messy people. People are just messy. The only perfect person ever ever walked this earth was Jesus Christ himself. So you're in good company if you're a sinner. So you should applaud yourself. Yeah, I'm a sinner. All right. It don't mean you need to stay there, though. Okay, it's taking those steps, that sanctification. So, so after you realize you're a sinner, after you realize how much God loved you, that Jesus died for your sins, you need to take that next step. And that next step, it says in God's word that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that easy. That's the easy part. It's not a special handshake. It's not a special song or dance. It's confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. That's where the salvation comes from. Jesus paid it all on the cross. He paid it on the cross. When he rose from the dead, he beat death and opened up that salvation for each one of us. But that's when that work starts. Because after you've accepted him and you say, I want you to lord over my life and I'm going to live for you always, that sin that's in your life, he's going to start pointing out. He's going to say, hey, that's sin. You can't have that. That's when the work begins. That's when that sanctification, that big churchy word, that changing us to be more like him each and every day. Because if we're going to follow Jesus, we're called to be like Jesus. And if you're going to tell people about my Jesus, you should be able to say, hey, this is where I was. Man, you remember me back then. People who remember me from back in the day, they'll tell you, man, I remember the day Pastor Ken met Jesus. Because the night before, we were in the bar. Two nights before, we were in the bar. Pastor Ken met Jesus. Man, let me, let me tell you what he's done in my life since that day. And every day is a little different. Every day takes me a little closer to him and farther from my sinful nature. Because I seek him in all that I do. That's what we're called to do. So if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus, what a better day than on Resurrection Sunday to accept Jesus and make him the Lord of your life. So I want to encourage you, if you've never accepted Jesus, during our final song, um, as people are leaving, you can come up front and I'll be right here. And I'll be more than happy to pray with you, pray for you, have a conversation with you about it, answer your questions, whatever it is. I'll also have some prayer partners up here. If you just need some time to pray and say, you know what, I've got all this junk in my life. I've got my life is in a tailspin, and I'm like these two disciples. I'm not hearing the voice of Jesus. There'll be some other people up here who will be more than happy to pray with you and for you during that time to help you to hear his voice to help you to maybe just get some peace in the chaos of your life. And maybe you're one of them who's sitting here and going, well, 
I'm one of them CEOs. Well, if you're a CEO, I'm glad you're here, whether you're here in the room or join us for church online. Because one of the things that most of the people in the congregation hear me say all the time is I tell people, get connected to a local body of Christ. Now, here's what really gets the people in the congregation for, for those who aren't normally here. I say, get connected with a local body of Christ, and guess what? It don't have to be this church. It don't have to be here. But get connected somewhere. Get connected to a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church where you can work on your relationship with Jesus and with other people. Hey, we'd love it to be here because we're all about Jesus. And we all know we're sinners. We all know we fall short. So you'd be in great company because we're all messed up and we're all jacked up. We're all loved, so we're a messed up, jacked up family. So you can join us and be part of the crowd. Trust me, we got people at all different levels. But like I said, it don't have to be here. Get connected with the local body of Christ someplace so you can work on your relationship with Jesus and others because that's what we're called to do. We are called to be about kingdom business, not earthly kingdom, heavenly kingdom. So let's be about his business today. Amen? Ask my prayer partners to come up front, John, Valerie, Maureen. And as I pray, when I'm done praying, as I said, you're free to go. But they got another song they want to sing, so y'all can stay in worship also and just continue to worship for another song afterwards or you're free to go. Me personally, I'm going to stay in worship. But if you need prayer, come up front. If you need to accept Jesus, come up front. If you just want to talk, come up front. Or just stay there and worship where you're at. Amen? Heavenly Father, we come to you today on this Resurrection Sunday, and we thank you. We thank you that you draw near to us. Lord, even if sometimes we don't feel it, we don't understand it, maybe we don't even recognize you, we know you draw near. And Lord, so many times in our lives, you know, we may hear your voice and we wonder where you're at. We wonder, God, where are you? But meanwhile, you're right by our side and we're letting the noise around us drown out your voice. Lord, allow us to eliminate the noise so that we can hear you. Allow us to eliminate the noise so we can see you and recognize you. Lord, allow us to be your salt, your light, and your leaven in this world. Lord, my prayer is that everyone here throughout this week, not only this week, but next week and beyond, will tell people, let me tell you about my Jesus. And they will speak of the things that you've done in their life and how you've changed them. So, Lord, open our eyes to see you. Open our eyes to see your plan for our lives. And, Lord, if there's anyone here today that does not know you, that they will take that step today to make you the Lord of their lives. And, Lord, we thank you for all you've done for us. And make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us here today at FBC Lantana for Church Online. And, and, and if 
If you enjoyed what you saw today, I'd just like to ask you to go ahead, go to our website and, and help support this ministry as we try and outreach and reach the lost for Jesus Christ. And you can just go to our website, fbclantana.com slash give, um, and you can make an online donation right there. Again, I encourage you to get connected to a local church, and especially if during this message you felt compelled to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, definitely go tell somebody. Let someone know because that is the greatest decision you could ever make in your life. And, and from there, get connected to a local church. Hey, we would love to provide you with some resources with that. You can go to our website, fbclantana.com, and on the very front page, you say, give my life to Jesus. Click on there, and at the bottom of there, there's some links and some good information for you. And just wanted to say, welcome to the family.